welcome to this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun, a weekly podcast answering all the most pressing questions children around the world have about life on Earth. Let's begin with our first question, which comes from Menashe. Over to you, Menashe. Hello, Molly. My name's Menashe, and I'm 11 years old, and my question is... Would it be possible to transfer your body into a computer? Bye! Hi, Menashe. Well, that is a great question. I really don't think I'd like to do that at all. I like being human and I like being alive. But I thought it was a good idea to explore, so I asked Lath Carlson from the Museum of the Future, which is in Dubai, to answer it for you. Over to Lath. Thank you so much for that question, Manashe. It's really fascinating to think about. I'm Leith Carlson here at the Museum of the Future in Dubai, where we get to explore all kinds of interesting new technologies and how they might impact us in the future. When we're looking at computers, they've helped us in so many ways already. And even if you're playing online games, you may have created a version of yourself in the computer. We call that an avatar. And an avatar just represents a little bit about you, so it might look a little like you, move like you in some ways, but it's not the same as actually being in the computer. In a similar way, at the Museum of the Future, we created the representation of an Amazon rainforest in the computer in a simulation. And in that simulation, we modeled a tree and a lot of the organisms around it, but it's still nowhere like being actually in Colombia in the Amazon rainforest where we studied. So I think that we're a long way away from being able to actually put ourselves and our bodies in a computer. We might get closer and closer over time, but I don't think we'll ever fully be able to represent ourselves in the machine. Thanks, Laugh. Very interesting to learn more about Menashe's question. And that's great. People can learn more about the Amazon when in your museum in Dubai. Although, of course, there's no replacement for real life. Imagine if you could really walk into the most beautiful and precious Amazon rainforest. How incredible that would be to hear all the birds and animals and hear the river and the leaves rustling under your feet and the insects and the humming of all the life around you. How important it is to protect beautiful rainforests and all the beautiful nature on our planet. Earth, where we live. How lucky are we? I hope that answers your question, Menashe, and thank you for sending it in. And thank you to Lath Carlson from the Museum of the Future in Dubai for answering it for you. Next, we're moving on to another invention humans have come up with besides computers. It's about a machine that flies through the sky. And it uses computers to do that too, of course. It's about aeroplanes. The question comes from Rose. Over to Rose. Hi, my name's Rose and and I live in London and my and I'm four years old and I like aeroplanes. And my question is, how do aeroplanes fly? Hi Rose, what a super question, thank you. Well, when I was on the plane to Bali in Indonesia last month, I was thinking a little bit about how it is that we're moving through the air. Let's get on to it, shall we? Well, to start, we need to know that air everywhere has weight. 
All things that fly, like hot air balloons, kites, birds and aeroplanes, need air. Air has the power to push and pull on all these things that fly. In 1640, the Italian scientist Evangelista Torricelli discovered that air has weight. Another inventor called Francesco Lana used this discovery to make an idea for an airship, what we call an aeroplane, in the late 1600s. He tried out loads of designs, but was not able to manage to make them real. So we skip forward a few hundred years to 1903 with the Wright brothers in America. You might have heard of them. Wilbur and Orville Wright spent four years of research to create the first successfully powered aeroplane, a machine that could take off and fly. It didn't fly for that far, but it was a big discovery and a big moment in history. It was hundreds of years worth of effort to get this first flying machine. The Wright brothers understood that air had the power to exert pressure on things moving in the sky. So things flying in the air, like planes, really need the air's help to move them along. The power of the plane's engine, combined with the power of the air, creates things called forces which make the plane move along. Now let's go through them. First we have the force called thrust. This force is the one you might think of first. It's the force that moves the plane forward through the air and it's made by a propeller or a jet engine in the plane itself. Second, there is drag. Now drag is a force created by the air and it's the force which pulls the plane backwards a little bit. With the forces of thrust and drag working together, the plane moves at a steady speed through the air. The third force that makes a plane fly is gravity. Gravity is the thing that pulls all objects, including you and me, down towards the Earth and makes sure that we're not all floating around in space. If we didn't have gravity, we wouldn't be able to live on our Earth because we wouldn't be able to stand on it. We'd float off. Working against the force of gravity is lift, which, like drag, is caused by the air. Lift is the force pushing the plane upwards and it's created by the movement of the air above and below the wing. Air flows faster above the wing and slower below the wing. This creates a difference in air pressure that keeps the plane flying. Birds' wings work in kind of the same way, so they fly. So there we go, that's four different forces created by the air, plus the aeroplane's jet or propeller, plus gravity, all somehow, pretty much if you ask me, miraculously work together to make a plane fly. Thanks to the work of lots of inventors and lots of people with loads of ideas over hundreds of years, and even from watching birds and how they fly and learning from them, we can now travel around the world in planes or watch them flying through the sky, imagining where they might be off to. I hope that answers your question, Rose, and thank you for sending it in. Our next question comes from Zanwi. It's about a beautiful animal that lives underwater, the octopus. Over to Zanwi. Hi, Molly. My name is Zanwi. I am five years old. I live in India, Karnataka. And my question is, how many eggs does an octopus lay? Wow, hi Zanwi! Thank you so much for sending your question from India. I love India. I taught English in a school in Himachal Pradesh in a village called Lambagon in district Kangra when I was 19 and I had the best time ever living in that village and meeting so many lovely children in the school. What a beautiful country. Lucky you. I hope you're having a lovely time. 
So onto your question, how many eggs does an octopus lay? Well, it depends on the species. They all lay slightly different amounts. But on average, you could say the total number of eggs laid by a female octopus varies from about 100,000 to 500,000, but all in one go. Let's find out a little bit about it. The females are the ones who lay the eggs. Throughout their life, they pair up with different males to make babies. When an octopus gets pregnant, she searches high and low for a nice, cosy place where she can lay her eggs and look after them without anything to disturb them. This might be a hole, a crevice, or a sheltered place if the octopus is on rocky shores, or it might be some coral reef underwater, or a sandy or muddy bottom of the ocean. Eggs are laid in empty shells as well that other creatures have left behind, and sometimes in man-made objects like cans, tins, bottles, and boots. Basically, the octopus makes herself a den where she can lay her eggs safely and look after them as they develop. So when she's settled, she waits till the eggs are ready and then they're not like chicken eggs which come out as separate rounded shells. The mummy octopus has things called oviductal glands inside her which the eggs stay in until they're ready for a good time to be laid when the conditions are right in the ocean and the octopus is happy. Then she lays the eggs thousands of them and what she does is so clever she makes sticky mucus and then she braids the eggs together into long strings which are called festoons so then all the eggs end up in long strings and the end of the strings are stuck to the top of her den so she sort of makes a beaded curtain out of her eggs so they're right there so she can protect them then once these eggs thousands of them are braided into strings the mother cares for all these eggs by cleaning them with the tips of her tentacles and shooting jets of water over them. She also makes sure that predators are kept away from them. The female octopus doesn't really eat during the period of giving birth and looking after her eggs. And this can go on for months and months, like five months or more, at very low temperatures. It's quite dangerous for the mother, but it's her way of making sure that her eggs are safe and protected. So if she doesn't have to go off to look for food, she can stay with her eggs and make sure nothing else gets them and that they're well looked after. What? Excellent mothering. At the end of the brooding period, which is what you call the time between the eggs being laid and then being ready to hatch, then all the eggs hatch at once, which is a miraculous sight for people who are lucky enough to see it. Only a few of these thousands and thousands of eggs actually need to survive to keep the octopus population doing well. Well done, Mummy Octopus! I hope that answers your question, Zanwi, and thank you so much for sending it in. That's it for this week. Wishing you all a very lovely week. A huge thank you to the amazing scientist, Laf Carlson, for explaining how we can transfer things in the real world into computers. And thanks to the Museum of the Future in Dubai. Also, thank you to Menashe, Rose and Zanwi for this week's questions. If you have a question you would like answered on Everything Under the Sun, do send it in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk. All you have to do is borrow Grownump's phone and record yourself by audio or video saying your name, your age, your country, a bit about yourself and ask me your question. Then get your grown-up to email it in. Don't forget, 
there's a paperback of my latest book, Everything Under the Sun, a curious question for every day of the year, out now. It's out in the UK in paperback, and then it's out in the rest of the world in hardback. It's been translated into lots of languages, including Mandarin, German, Dutch, and lots of other languages, and it's available in America and Australia and New Zealand as well. So wherever you are in the world, hopefully you can find a copy. I think you'll love it. It's full of all your questions and illustrated by 12 artists, so it's very beautiful. I really like it. Find it in your nearest bookshop or online. Have a wonderful week looking for planes and thinking about all the atoms in every single thing in the universe. And of that, Mummy Octopus braiding her eggs into long strands called festoons and blowing water over them to keep them clean. What a great octopus she is. I'll be back next week answering more curious questions from children around the world in another episode of Everything Under the Sun. Thank you and goodbye! I'm James Stewart, and in Saving Planet Earth, I'm going to be joined by some of the world's top scientists to introduce you to some of the weird and wonderful ideas being trialled to try and save our planet. Led, of course, by your questions. Hi, James. I know that climate change is affecting our oceans. Is there anything that's being done to look after it? And one of the solutions involves dolphin poo. This is Saving Planet Earth. Available wherever you get your podcasts.